listening to the Fish on Ted podcast with your host, Ted Johnson. Well, hello, this is Ted Johnson with the Fish on Ted podcast. I want to thank everyone for tuning in today. We're recording this the 1st of April, actually the 2nd, if you wanted to uh, be in a different time zone. And we are in interesting times right now in the industry when uh, we've got a virus that's uh, hit many of us in regards to um, having quarantines and uh, lockdowns and that sort of thing. There's people that are off the water hoping they can get on the water. And I just uh, hope and pray that everyone out there is well. We have a real special guest today, and I'm really excited to have this conversation. Um, Bob and I have talked uh, once or twice in, in the last uh, few weeks, and he's in a very unique position to give us his insight in what's going on, not only in the industry right now, but also from a medical side, since he is a practicing physician. So I'm not going to steal his thunder. Bob, are you there? Oh, yeah, I'm here. Terrific. Terrific. Well, Bob, welcome. It, uh, it's precarious times, is it not? Yeah, it's crazy. It's uh, like a science fiction movie. You keep thinking you'll change the channel. It'll go away, but it's on every channel. It sure, it sure is. You know, and, and I'm going to let you do an introduction of how you're involved in the sports fishing industry and a practicing physician just to bring people up to speed on, on who you are and what you do. All right. That sounds fair enough. Well, you know, when I was a kid, I was a guide. I mean, I was the five-year-old kid that was taking the other five-year-old kid fishing, and that kind of continued through my uh, young life, young adulthood, even in college. I was a guy bass fishing all the time. Even in med school, I was I was hitting Lake Fork when I was uh, going to med school in Dallas, you know. I ended up uh, actually started out wanting to be a fisheries biologist and professors convinced me I, I needed to do something different with my life. And long story short, I ended up going down the um, medical pathway. And uh, right before I started medical school, I got the opportunity to come to Alaska and fish on a commercial salmon fishing boat with one of my professors. He, he needed a deckhand. And, you know, I stepped off the plane on uh, June 21st, 1986, Anchorage, Alaska, 11 o'clock at night. The sun was setting below the Alaska range, beautiful, clear sky. I went, this is where I'm living. And, I've arrived. Uh, you know, yeah, and I, I knew it like you knew the sun was coming up. It just, it just got a hold of me right away. Um, I love Alaska, amazing place. Um, as I went through medical school and kind of came back to Alaska as I could through med school and residency, I formulated this plan that I was going to build a fishing lodge. I, mm -hmm. I actually chose subspecialty kind of based on that. I became an ER doc because I saw those guys had a lot of free time. You know, they went to the hospital, they worked, they worked hard, and then they left. And right. they really had no responsibility outside of when they were there thought it's the perfect dichotomy for building a fishing lodge. So uh, when I got, luckily, landed a job on the Kenai Peninsula right out of residency, bought my house, bought the lot next to my house on a lake just outside the town of Soldatna, and I went right to my plans. Uh, I think I moved there in 93, 
had my pilot's license when I got there, bought an airplane relatively quickly and started learning the bush flying. Um, uh-huh. Two years after, uh, after I moved there, I partnered up with a couple of friends of mine. We invested together and we built the lodge. I hired a guy that was a logsmith. We went down and cut logs off of Anchor Point and we built the original main lodge building. It's now grown to a four acre complex with five separate buildings on it. But, uh, um, you know, the, the lodge has slowly evolved. We've seen, uh, you know, the 2008 decline, which probably isn't as tough as this, but took a lot of players out of the game. Um, and I think we'll make it through this one, you know, but that, that's how I ended up. I mean, it was a labor of love. I loved guiding. I guided on the Kenai river for the first 10 years of the lodge existence. And then flying and doing remote flyout trips kind of made that my highest and best use. And I pretty much switched to more, um, you know, daily flyout trips and, and handed the reins over to some of my partners, um, for the river fishing and, and stuff like that. And, you know, we were looking at having probably our best year since 2007. Uh, we were on pace ahead of last year, which was a almost 30% increase in bookings from the year before. Mm-hmm. And you know, like getting punched right in the nose, you know, I mean, a, a month ago, new bookings flatlined and, you know, right. I'm getting some calls about people going, Hey, we were looking like this June trip's not going to happen. And I'm like, yeah, I'm afraid you might be right. You know, so mm-hmm. that's where mm-hmm. we're at. Today. Yeah. So, so how is the uh, virus affecting Alaska right now? I mean, I, you know, it's all through the news and it's, it's tough to figure out how it's affecting different States and that sort of thing. Do you have a lot of cases in your part of the world? No, we really don't. So I'm, I'm practicing right now in the town of Cordova. I'm the doctor for the town for a week. They, they don't have any cases and they have a real chance of being isolated from it because even though it's not an Island, it's like one it's hemmed in by glaciers and ocean. And the only way to get in and out right now is by, by plane. And the mayor has everybody quarantined 14 days. If you show up, they made an exception for me. Um, and I'm being very careful and have been very careful. The mm-hmm. state is not doing too badly. Um, the only death to my understanding is somebody that probably would have died anyways, but happened to have coronavirus. Um, okay. The hospital where I live in Soldotna, um, we have nobody hospitalized. There's only a handful of cases on the entire Kenai Peninsula. Our governor was pretty fast to pull the trigger on quarantining and he might have he might just have saved us i mean we may actually like have a peak and not you know overwhelm our system it's hard to know though i am not an epidemiologist and you know we're not going to know any kind of numbers like what the mortality rate uh, was for two years i mean two (laughs) years from now when they can randomly go through the population and say, okay, let's see if you have antibodies to this. Okay. And so if you take a random sample of the population and you go, okay, well, based on this random sample, this many people got the disease, let's say 50% of America got it. And then you say, here's how many died. Now, you know what the mortality was, but we have no clue because we're reserved the tests 
deeper people where we really need to know, i.e. people that are really sick and need to be hospitalized or people like if I got symptoms. Well, if mm -hmm. I got symptoms, you want to test me as soon as possible because you need to know if you need to take me out of that essential workforce, you know. Right. So we're not testing ubiquitously enough to have any clue what the mortality is. It's going to be less than 1%, but I still think it's worse than the flu. And it's mm -hmm. way more contagious. I think that's clear. And I do think that Italy and Spain proved that if you don't try to stop the spread of this, it has enough respiratory compromise, particularly in those people that have comorbidities or pre-existing medical conditions or advanced age. And I actually did a video, I think you watched it, Ted, about what's going on there, a YouTube channel. But, um, you know, it, it'll happen fast enough and hit hard enough that you will be turning away people from the emergency rooms and hospitalization because you don't have any place to put them. And mm -hmm. I don't think we want that happen in this country. And I think the projections are that we might squeak by and have it not happen. But I really, I, I don't have the bandwidth in, in, in that area of expertise to give an opinion. I'm crossing my fingers and hoping that the second week of June, when my first clients were supposed to show up, they're still going to be there, you know? You bet. You bet. You know, you're obviously in a unique position uh, doing what you do. And, and uh, one of the things that you promote uh, a lot on your website is not only the lodge, but um, also as I, I think you list yourself like as a wellness coach or a, a wellness lecturer and that sort of thing. So, you know, if you've got people that are coming up this summer to spend time with you there at the lodge or, or go out and do a, a more remote type trip in the, in the uh, outback of Alaska somewhere, are there things that they can be doing now to like improve their immune system? You know, so when they come up in a couple months that, um, you know, they've, they've got a fighting chance about, you know, maybe not even showing symptoms if they come up with the virus. Well, you know, cellular health is at the basis of everything. You know, I, I think people sometimes approach life with this, this abstract, like, it's not really about the molecules that you're putting in your body, but at the end of the day, life is a chemical reaction, okay? I, I personally believe it's one that was made by a creator, but it's really complicated, you know? Yeah. And to ignore the chemical component of life and open your face and stick whatever you feel like putting in it in it is absolutely the worst approach to having a good immune response okay meaning i mm -hmm. spend i have you know written blogs that i've done where i painstakingly go through the nutrition information and i've come up with here's what i think a person should eat and it doesn't mean you have to eat exactly what i eat but you sort of follow my approach to eating, okay? And, mm -hmm. and so by far, the most modifiable risk factor to prevent chronic disease and to have the best outcome in the event of some sort of acute insult like coronavirus or you smash your truck into a guard, you know, into a, a cement wall, whatever the acute insult is, the most modifiable risk factor is that hole in your face and what molecules you decide to put in it. Let me put it to you this way. You probably don't realize 
that if you and I were sitting there talking to each other right now face-to-face, 99% of the molecules that we would be looking at when we look at one another, one year from now would be somewhere else in the universe, okay? Think about what that means. In one year, you can replace 99% of the molecules in your body. And your cells are sitting there. They're these little machines with genes that control how they function. And what genes do is they, they code for proteins that control cellular function and cellular structure. And if you want your cells to be built right and work correctly, you have to put the molecules in your body that your cells need. And they don't have a bunch of words you don't understand on the back of a piece of processed food, okay? Mm -hmm. And the animals that we've been eating for the bulk of our, of our, you know, biological inheritance weren't eating corn. Okay. They were eating grass, you know? Right. And, and so, you know, basically the modern day lifestyle, which is you can sit on the couch and don't have to exert yourself and have unlimited calories that are highly palatable and nutrient sparse is a recipe for not having a good outcome if you get COVID-19, okay, mm-hmm. or any other insult. So, yeah, mm-hmm. you, you want to learn how to do something to improve your immune system? You know, go to my well. If you go to Facebook and search wellness patients, for example, uh-huh. my little blog will come up. I'm about halfway through exercise. I've covered chronic disease. I've covered nutrition, and I'm about halfway through exercise in written blogs, I am just now starting my coverage of this same information via YouTube, but the COVID virus kind of took over, and most of what I'm putting out right now is kind of cliff note version. Hey, I'm going to have to skip some of the science and just jump to the here's what I think you should do because I don't have time to go. I mean, you know, I got to strike while the iron's hot, and I'm trying to get people to change their behavior now to make them less likely to end up in a bad situation down the road. You know, Mm -hmm. um, remote or not, you know, people often laugh and go, you know, I'm their pilot on an all day fly out and we're going to fly out into the bush. And they're like, well, I'm glad you're a doctor because I have this medical problem or that. I'm like, well, that's really reassuring, except that I can probably tell you what you're dying of and I have no equipment to do anything about it. You know, (laughs) I can basically do the same thing your guide would do, which is press the the. 911 button on my spot and hope the helicopter got there in time, you know. Right, right. But, you know, so I mean, yeah, you want to be in good shape if you're going to go out and, and put yourself off the grid, you know, mm-hmm. and nutrition is the way to do it. And, you know, mm-hmm. the second most modifiable risk factor for chronic disease exercise. You get off the couch. I'm right. standing right now as I do, okay? I'm, I'm pacing, not because mm-hmm. I'm nervous. But standing's better than sitting. And right. I'm afraid with this with this quarantine that people are sitting much more. So we've yeah. got to go out of our way to not let that happen. Right. You know? Right. I'm sorry you're if I ran on that one, but it got me going. Oh, no. No, no. That that that's uh you're right on topic. I mean it uh, you know, a part of the you know, a remote experience is making sure that you are are, are in a position where you're fit and able enough to really enjoy it. And you're right. If you're not putting the right sort of things in your body, 
and uh, you go on a, an adventure, you're probably not going to enjoy it as much and, and have other sort of inherent risks if you, uh, you know, aren't preparing yourself for that sort of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I yeah. just, you know, we all love food. I mean, and, and as outdoorsmen, we're so fortunate because we have access to the highest quality protein available on planet Earth. And that mm -hmm. is animals and fish that we seek in these experiences. They're right. organic. They're full of antioxidants and macro and micronutrients that we need. And, you know, you should eat as, as, as much wild game and fish as you can, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and, of course, add lots of vegetables and a reasonable amount of low glycemic fruits and nuts and seeds and avoid a bunch of grain and don't eat processed stuff. And mm -hmm. if you decide to do that in terms of how you eat and you decide to make some kind of effort at some brief, daily, fairly intense exercise, it is unbelievable how much you will transform your health and, and your health span and your lifespan, mm -hmm. you know. And then you can enjoy the things that we all love doing for much longer. Right. And you know what? No, we all love food and it's a social thing, but you have got to come to a place. It doesn't mean you can't ever eat crap. You can get by with some cake on your kid's birthday and you're not going to die. Okay. Right. I mean, but you can't make that your nutrition plan. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't talk about diet. I talk about a nutrition plan. That's what, mm -hmm. that's what it is. It's how do I fuel this God given life? Yeah. You know, and, that's kind of what I preach to people. Look at food as the source of the fuel for this life that you love, not the point of it. Right, right. Very good. Well, I'm, I'm curious, Bob, in regards to preparing for this year's guest at the lodge, we, of course, have a lot of uh, lodge owners and, and uh, outdoor um, uh, business people that uh, listen to the podcast. What are you going to be doing in 2020 differently in regards to, you know, making sure that the, that the guests are, are uh, not exposed to uh, the, this virus if they get to the lodge with somebody else that brings it in? I mean, do you have things that you're doing differently this year that, that, that you haven't done in the past? Well, I guess it's really hard to know. I mean, obviously, I probably would take pretty close attention to somebody that looked to be sick when they got there. I would mm -hmm. probably want to talk to them about quarantining if we thought the virus was, you know, still around. Right. Um, I, I, I don't have any real sense. Of, I suspect that lodge owners are going to be less restrictive than the federal government in terms of allowing the recurrence of travel and mm -hmm. that if we have a season in June or July or August, that probably at least this acute episode is behind us and it's, and it's going to be less likely and, you know, an issue. I mean, our lodges on the road system and the hospital that I've worked at for 27 years is eight miles away. So it's not like I'm, I'm off the grid. Now we we're dragging people away from, you know, access on a day-to-day -day basis, but they're not spending weeks at a time 
you know, sure. where there, where you have access, nothing. So it would be pretty easy for me to quarantine somebody if they clearly got sick and it was like, Oh God, this looks like the coronavirus. And I would guess by June, I bet you I can get a test within 24 hours if they, you know, or, or maybe even the rapid test, you know, you could probably, if, if they met the criteria where the, you know, the index of suspicion was high enough, you'd probably know that afternoon, you know, oh. if they came down with hey, doc, I'm running a fever and I got a sore throat and I'm all achy and you'd be like, God, I sure hope it's influenza. You know, yeah. <laughs> and, and you'd, you'd probably know the answer that, that evening i i would guess by june that's going to be relatively available possibly from what i'm hearing you know we're looking at a few weeks before that's going to be available so obviously there's going to be that strategy i I think so i mean they've got the test now that's like the influenza test that we have in in the er's in the clinics which is a rapid detection test that um you know gives you a reading in 15 minutes Mm -hmm. and it's sensitive like night influenza it's like 98 percent sensitive i mean you know so you're not going to miss very many and you know you can come in and if you if you have enough symptoms that are compatible i can stuff the swab down your nose and uh, not me but you know my lab technicians stick it in a machine and they give me a yes or no in in 15 minutes you know i think that's going to be available for this relatively quickly so for the most part now, obviously, if you're talking about a remote lodge, you're just going to have to be sensible. I mean, you're not going to mm-hmm. have access to that. And and you, what would you do with somebody that you thought had COVID? You'd isolate them. You'd social distance them to the best of your ability, just like you're doing now. You mm-hmm. know, you'd, and, and obviously, if they started to deteriorate, you would do whatever you would do in that given area to get them out of there. You know, I mean, if it's press if it's, you know, make a sat phone call and say, we got a person that's, you know, obviously deteriorating from a respiratory standpoint, we've got them isolated. We think they may have that COVID-19. You better get a helicopter out here, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I, God, I hope, I just hope that we've contained this thing and I'd be nice to think that it's way more prevalent than we realize and that, you know, when they do the testing, 50% of us have antibodies to it by next year. And, right. you know, maybe one more tough year of it and, and then we're immune, but mm-hmm. who knows? Yeah. It's well, scary. You know, yeah. It, it, it's amazing to me, the, the number of people that I speak with and, and that, that say that, you know, back in, you know, December or January, they had the symptoms of what COVID, you know, nineteen is it, it is is uh, is showing to people, and whether it was influenza or not, I mean, it's going to be hard to tell until they can be have their their antibodies tested, if you may. But it seems like there's probably some of those people that that did have it back then. I, I it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, it's really tough to know, though. I mean. Like I said, you know, here in Alaska, we have a lot of negative tests, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Meaning that you know, when I look at, when I'm seeing some of the data, and I mean, it's not like I've got access to tables and I've done the math. It's more just kind of mentally in my head. But it's like, it seems like in most places, if you warrant testing, you know, which is limited, like we said, about 10% of the people that get tested have it. Well, here right. in Alaska, we're nowhere near that. 
we've had way more negative tests than positive tests. When I looked last night, we were up to 119 cases in the entire state, I think. Wow. Um, and, and, and we've done thousands of tests. I mean, mm-hmm. so we're no, I think, I think we've tested over 4,000 people now. So we're considerably less than 10% of the tests are positive, you know, mm-hmm. which I think this suggests that, you know, and we are kind of off the beaten path, although the problem is Alaska is a hub. It's a cargo hub internationally. Um, you know, it's, uh, we've got the slope workers that come through Alaska. Many of them live in, you know, California and Washington mm-hmm. and Florida and Georgia and, you know, and, and they come up and work two weeks and, and they've detected it on the North slope. Now the first person has had well, a positive have- test. So, you know, it's, it's just, I don't think we've got our head wrapped around at all how prevalent it is. It's just going yeah. to be a while. It's going to yeah. Take some random tests. You're going to have to do it randomly to really know. Because mm-hmm. clearly some people don't have much symptoms, you know, right. and, and, and so you'll miss those people and have no clue what the actual prevalence of the disease is unless you say, okay, look, we got to do a bunch of random sampling, you know, go ahead and interview them to find out if they've had any symptoms suggestive, but you don't pick them based on that. You pick them randomly and then you use that scientific analysis to decide uh-huh what percentage of the population is infected, you know? Got it. Got it. Uh, okay. Well, well, that, well, gosh, that makes sense. That makes sense. And, and that'd be, a, that'd be a great number to know, but I think you're right. It's, you're, we're at least a couple of years out from having any of that data that's relevant at this point. Yeah. Well, that'll be the second phase would be when you test for immunity. But I think at some point with this, with this rapid test becoming available, I would think at some point they're going to they're going to try because because the rapid test is just a nasal swab whereas mm-hmm. the antibody is is a serum blood draw right, right. and and uh, so I suspect we'll probably get both of those numbers eventually and learn about this disease through you know retrospectively I mm-hmm. suspect more widespread rapid testing even on asymptomatic people is going to come first and uh-huh. then I think eventually we're going to start seeking an an idea of what percentage of the population ended up with an immune response to this, you know, mm-hmm. and and that'll be that'll be the one that comes later. I think. Yeah. Again, I'm not an epidemiologist, but that to me that's the logical approach. Is as mm-hmm. soon as we have availability where we're not like, okay, well now a healthcare worker is not going to get tested because we let this person who was asymptomatic get tested just to see as soon as we have enough testing units available that we can start to do that. I think that will be the initial approach. And then at some point we'll go back and say, okay, now let's figure out how many people are immune, you know, how, right. and, and, and then eventually we'll be able to tell you, you know what, this disease killed, this many people, this percentage of people in their 80s that got it, this percentage, you know, I mean, clearly diabetes is a huge risk factor. Um, uh-huh. uh, you know, obviously age, you know, as, as I demonstrated in the video that I that I did, you know, as you age, your pump function declines and your lung function declines. And then when you get this virus, it 
it, particularly if you have a significant inflammatory response, which again is related to kind of the molecules you've put in your body plus your genetics, mm-hmm. you start to fill your lungs with fluid. And so if you have compromised lungs to begin with and your pump doesn't pump that good, that well to begin with, and now you're pumping blood that's less oxygenated to your organs, well, just bad stuff starts happening. And it's this cascade of events just kind of you spiral downhill. And that's right. why it's affecting the aged, you know, preferentially because part of the aging process is stuff starts not working as well, you know. And yeah. then and then it affects them metabolically sick because they're metabolically sick. You know, they're going to have a higher inflammatory response. And, and so... You know, those are the things that we can do. I mean, you can kind of improve your pump function by getting off the couch. Mm-hmm. You know, it's too late once you got the virus. I mean, now you're just trying to survive. But if you increased your cardiac output by 10% between now and a month from now when you get it, mm-hmm. which is totally doable, I can show you scientific evidence where if you do, you know, oh, six weeks of every third day doing like four sprints to point of failure. Yeah. So, you know, in other words, get yourself warm for three minutes and then take off on a dead sprint until your legs collapse. Okay. Not mm-hmm. a fun thing to do. It's like running 440 back in track back in the old days. Okay. Right. Well, right. recover, do it again, recover, do it again, recover, do one more like you do four of those, they did studies on people, volunteers that did that for six weeks, three days a week. You're talking about literally less than 15 minutes of exercise in a week, okay? But it's intense exercise. Those people increased their VO2 max, the volume of oxygen they could consume per kilogram of body weight per minute by 10% in six weeks. Yeah, I mean, it's low-hanging fruit. It's not easy. That's how I exercise primarily. I do sprint interval training um, on my cardio, you know. But, I mean, that's a huge – 10% might be the 10% that gets you off that ventilator and you live, you know. Yeah, Um, no kidding. Holy smokes, really. That's amazing. Yep, I, I think I've already covered that. That was the, my last exercise um, blog on my wellness patients page on Facebook. Yeah. Um, was this training one. I, I'm, my next one, which I'm in the process of typing, is, okay, so, you know, you looked at me and said, Doc, there ain't no way I'm doing sprint interval training. Well, now I go to the other extreme. I go, guess what? You know who benefits the most from exercise? If you look at mortality studies that look at fitness level, which is uh-huh. actually best predictor of morta- of whether you're going to die or not, better than age, really? better than <laughs> anything else you can measure, how fit you are has the most predictive value for whether you're going to live very long, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, when you look at those mortality studies where they break people down into different fitness level groups based on age the biggest decrease in mortality goes from it it occurs when you go from being in the least fit group to the second least fit so so what's my preach to the people that 
you know, basically it's like, doc, there's no way I'm going to do sprint interval training, you know, right. an older person, maybe they're overweight and they got bad knees. It's like, well, could you get off the couch? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, dude, go walk, you know, right. walk three miles a day. And, and, and especially now you need to get the hell out of the house. If you're allowed to, I'm mm-hmm. going to go walk around the Cordova boat Harbor, probably when we get off the phone, I mean, uh-huh. just because it's something, it puts me outdoors, you know, that's right. good for our body. You do the little things now while you can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that, the, yeah, that, that, that makes sense, man. That, that makes sense. And it's amazing how just like you were saying, just, you know, a little bit of effort in a short period of time can make a huge difference, can it? It's amazing. The scientific, I, 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 I've put the PDFs in my, in my files there on that. The wellness thing, you know, I mean, it's like, it's amazing. The studies blow my mind. The more Uh I read, the more I just kept going. Um, You know, I used to do what was called more high intensity interval training, where you keep your heart rate up at a very high level for like a minute, but you you did it based heart rate response. I don't even worry about my heart rate anymore. I warm up and I go wide open until your legs turn to lead and it's like, if I don't stop now, I'm going to fall on my face. You know, mm-hmm. I call it when you let the bear eat you. Okay. okay. So anyway, warm up for three minutes, take off running like there's a bear chasing you. Stop when you'd let it eat you. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's if, if you want the most bang for the buck exercise wise, do about four of those a day, three days a week. Right. It's amazing wow. what it does physiologically. I mean, it is massive. Improves insulin sensitivity, which is what you're up against with these diabetes. And these mm-hmm. people that have diabetes and diabetes having the bad outcomes with this coronavirus. Right. Right. Wow. Wow. So you can make a huge difference in a, in a very short period of time while this pandemic is going on. Absolutely. And you know what? You got the unhealthy sitting there going, yeah, but you know, I'm unhealthy. Gosh, I even put the studies in there. You don't even, it, it's like you don't die of a heart attack doing this to yourself. I mean, right. it's incredible. It, it, it's the way it's even been proven for cardiac rehab patients, people that have had heart attacks that have ha- that are now in the rehab phase of the heart attack. It is the best way for them to train. It gives them the most improvement and Mm -hmm. decreases the risk of future events more so than say, you know, a 45 minute, you know, aerobic treadmill session where they don't really push themselves hard. And see, for most of us prior to COVID-19, where we're all sitting around with nothing to do, time was our limiting factor on exercise. Most people's excuse about exercising is I don't have time. Well, it's pretty hard to not be able to, you know, sprint four times. I mean, you know, it, 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 with, with a few minutes of rest in between. Mm-hmm. You don't need anything. You, do it. you can run in place doing high knees in your living room right now. You right. know, you can find a hill and sprint up it. You can, mm-hmm. if, you, if you get to a track, you can run a 440 if you can still make it that far before you collapse. I don't think I can for them. And forty in high school, you know, I don't think I, I can make it about forty seconds wide open, and then I just I'm done. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what I can handle. 
but mm-hmm. I know that doing that is increasing my 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 cardiovascular fitness in such a way that if I'm up against the wall fighting for my life, man, I've maximized my genetic potential. You know, I mean, I've right. done what I can do. Right, right. Wow, what valuable information. That's terrific, man. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure you're changing people's lives with that. That's cool. Hey, real quick, um, talk, tell me about the 2020 fishing season. How are things looking up in regards to the to the runs of the kings and the silvers and the sockeyes and what uh, what are you hearing out there? Well, you know, I literally looked at the website, Fish uh, Alaska Department of Fish and Game, to look for predictions the other day, and they hadn't uh-huh. updated since 2020. I mean, since 2019. But I guess the encouraging news for us is that at least in June, we are starting on the Kenai Peninsula, the Kenai River we're at least going to have retention in place. It's going to be a slot limit starting out at 36 inches of less, and then they will make adjustments. Last year, we lost our June because they predicted such a poor return that they decided to start the season out completely catch and release. In right. other words, you, you couldn't keep anything. And July, we, you know, July always starts retention on July 1st. They've never restricted fishing in July until there was an issue that forced them to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, we were able we were able to keep fish last year um, without any restriction. The year before was actually kind of like a, you know, seemed like it showed up from about two decades ago. We were yeah. like, wow, this is. I first opened the lodge twenty five. This is our twenty fifth anniversary this year too. Um, and, and, and it was like, and this reminded me of back in the old days, but the three years before that, we had closures in July, eventually as the season went on because of poor returns. So it's always hard to know. My, my opinion is that their predictions are not that valuable. I, it's complex science and, you know, I have not seen great correlation, um, in terms of, you know, what the Kings are going to do and what they think is going to return. Probably a little better on the sockeye end of things. To be honest, right. I've, I haven't seen any bad years for sockeye fishing on the Kenai Peninsula. The Kenai River, one way or the other, the fishing's good. Either we get too many fish and they raise the limit to six um, and, uh, and, you know, bonus there or we don't get enough fish and they restrict the commercial fishery and we have pretty good fish. And then it's mm-hmm. very uncommon in July that our guests aren't getting their limits of, of sockeye salmon. And usually by the last week, you know, it's, it, I'd say most years they've increased the limit from three to six. Um, wow. Silver salmon. So we had a few tough years a ways back and they restricted um the the retention to two fish through august and then raised it to three in september when the pressure dropped off and it looks to me like that probably was a wise move because we've had pretty stable fishing since then typically the the factor for silvers is going to be water conditions you know yeah uh 
if if you, if you don't have the right water conditions, water gets too warm, or you know it's the the color's bad or whatever. You know you have periods of time when the fishing's tough, but it's not because the fish aren't there anymore. So mm-hmm. you know we've been pretty fortunate from that perspective. And then the flyout fisheries around the Kenai Peninsula are extremely stable, literally blowing. I mean, kind of blowing my biological mind you know where i've said we've killed so many fish in some of these fisheries how does it hold up Mm -hmm. and yet it does the Tustatan river and big river lakes are two fly out destinations um for silver salmon they just continue to produce year after year after year um the the big river lakes fishery for sockeyes last year was probably as good as i'd ever seen it i mean Uh Oh, so the, the, those are all all doing well, and you know halibut fishing. I I don't see the the catches coming in anymore um, on the day trips. You know where you got you know walls of hundred to two hundred pound fish hung up, but we're still getting the you know hundred plus fish now and then, and you know mm-hmm. limits are generally norm. Although you know you catch a lot of chickens anymore. You know, and the biggest problem with the the halibut fishery is they restricted us pretty much everywhere everywhere near south central alaska to um no no fishing on tuesdays and wednesdays right in the commercial setting so now we've only got five days a week we can target them so it's creating a supply demand issue you know, if you are coming to the Kenai Peninsula and you think you're going to book your halibut trip when you get there, think again. Not going to happen. There's some free advice, okay? I mean, it's hard for me with a pretty good stable of captains that I use to find a boat available in July at this point, you know? Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. um, but, but, you know, the saltwater fishing is pretty stable. We got good sea bass fishing, um, you know, lingcod, saltwater trolling for silvers and kings is still pretty viable. You know, so I, I we'll have a good season if we get to have a season. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Um, no, no. Do you do you have your your own in, uh, individual li- uh, uh, guides there at the lodge, or are you chartering out um, some or, or most of the trips? Well, uh, as far as the river fishing, we sort of manage that in-house. One of my partners is really probably, he drove me off the river. I mean, he is such a good fisherman that my uh, ego just couldn't handle fishing next to him anymore. Um, his name is Bonnie Robertson. And, and he just, he and I started out in the industry at the same time. In fact, I did his Coast Guard medical evaluation for him. You know, we both oh, wow. got our Coast Guard license, same class and everything. And that's how we met. And he ended up coming and working for me at my lodge and eventually became a partner in it. And he's, he, you know, he handles the river fishing. And so we have, have guides that we, um, you know, that we basically keep pretty busy on the river. And then I do the all day fly out, what we call the ultimate expedition, which is um, where I take people around in a beaver for the day and kind of hit multiple spots and, and kind of hopscotch around and fish for different species, depending on the time of year and what's running. And then mm-hmm. we do a number of flyouts that we charter through an air charter service, Talon Air Service, 
with oh, your yeah. single location flyouts, and that's a subcontracted situation. And then pretty much all of our saltwater trips, um, I I sub out. But you know, keep in mind, I've been at this 25 years. And I have a stable of of um, you know subs that really want to take good care of my clients. So it actually works out pretty well. Because mm-hmm. boy, I mean, saltwater. What do they call boats? A hole in the water you pour money into. <laughs> pour money into. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Not that airplanes aren't aren't the same situation, but but anyways, I, that so that's pretty much our setup. Um, river fishing is more or less an in-house deal. Um, we've got the specialty fly out that that I run myself. Um, we've got the single location daily fly outs that we sub out. And um, and we also have saltwater fishing that we sub out, and um, and then we handle all of the lodging, um, all of the fish processing. That's all. I've got a guy that's been doing my fish for. We've got a ten by ten walk-in freezer converted uh-huh. to a flash freezer this year, um, and uh, and uh, you know we everything's all commercial vacuum packed, airline ready, ready to go home, and each of our suites has a full kitchen. Um, you know, so that people can do their own thing on meals if they like. Although if you're familiar with the Kenai Peninsula, you can go out to eat every night if you want to. Most people do a combination. You know, we do a cookout one night, have everybody get together and kind of rub elbows and get to know each other. No more handshaking, I guess. Yeah, that's a thing. Elbow bumping is the new one, eh? Elbow bumping, yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. (laughs) I'll be there. Gosh, well, I, uh, I, I, uh, you know, I hope and pray that uh, we've got um, a season coming up. It sure seems like we will, um, based on what I'm, you know, my unscientific opinion. But it seems like uh, things are going to loosen up a little bit, and and people can go out and uh, and uh, get the like you were saying, getting that uh, that uh, high quality protein that we all need to, you know, survive and thrive. Yep. I, I, if you actually read my, um, my nutrition blog, I think I do make the statement. If I didn't, I'll make it now. I personally believe that salmon is the highest quality source of protein on the planet, you know, mm-hmm. and if you don't like it, acquire a taste for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just figure out a way to cook where you'll eat it because it is good and good for you. And, yeah. um, you know, we're fortunate to be able to catch lots of it and, you know, God designed the salmon in kind of a unique way where it goes way out into the ocean and collects all the, you know, all the nutrients that we need. And then um, it comes right back into our backyards where it's relatively easy to capture and, uh, and provide for yourself. So, you know, it, 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 it's probably not too late to, to think about setting up a trip. You know, I think, I think August, I mean, gosh, I'd be shocked if we weren't back up and going in August, and I'd be surprised if July doesn't work out. I'm a little leery of the early part of June, but who knows, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I don't know what all the lodges are doing. I mean, I, our normal cancellation policy would be, you know, some loss of money in this setting, but I'm not going to follow that. I mean, I'm I'm – if people are unable to travel at the time of their trip, I'm just going to, they're going to have a hundred percent credit in perpetuity going on. Yeah. Um, meaning yeah. that they can come next year or the year after, and that credit's going to exist, you know? Um, and, uh, 
I, you know, and, and if I took a new booking, as I have taken a few, I've told them that, that even though our cancellation policy stated a little different, in the event that there's still a COVID no travel order, um, they they will, you know, have 100% credit, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, that's all I figure we can do as an industry, and, and I, I'd like to think we'll come out on the other end still around and, you know, you people won't be put in a place that's just going to vanish. I We made it through 2008. I'll do what's necessary to make it through this, but it's scary. Yeah, it is. Well, you are very generous with uh, how you're handling the, uh, the this season, and you're and you're very easy to get to. I mean, you you fly commercially into uh, Anchorage, and then you can take a, a kind of a puddle jumper from Anchorage down, or you can even take that drive. I understand that's a beautiful drive. Yeah, it, it makes the most sense. I mean, you, you're just you're kind of tacking on an unnecessary expense if you if you take the puddle jumper because you still have to rent a vehicle the way my venue is set up because I'm not going to drive you from the lodge to the various halibut locations or to meet the guy at the river. So you need your car anyways. So why mm -hmm. add the expense of the extra puddle jumper when the drive is actually amazing i mean you know I, I was i was working in the er in soldatna one time and this couple were was their motor homers they were and and uh, somehow we got on the subject of the drive and they said you know we've we've rented and driven motor homes on six out of the seven continents i guess there's no motor home rental in antarctica but no uh, she said and that drive is the most beautiful drive anywhere we've ever been mm -hmm. now that's a pretty profound statement that's a true story husband and wife i can't remember what i was seeing them for in the er but that it was an older couple and they would travel and rent motorhomes and drive and they said that drive from you know anchorage down to the kenai peninsula most beautiful drive in the world and it is it's, it's beautiful so yeah you make a good point easy to get to um you know the airlines are being extremely generous so i don't think you're running any major risk with them if you yeah. if you i had i had to cancel a flight i was supposed to be in hawaii um in in a week with my family and um they uh they said you know you got all the credits back in your account and all you have to do is use the money within 365 days from now you don't have to you just have to book more flights with that money a year from within a year from now you and, okay. and you could book them for months from then so yeah. i mean you know everybody's going to try to bend over backwards and we're all hoping we come out of this on the other end with a season and everybody's going to be ready for some fishing when this is over with so i wouldn't totally write off the season i mean i you know i i would like to think most of the industry is probably going to be looking to keep the bookings coming in and is going to make special, you know, um, uh, you know, a program for, Hey, if, if it falls through, we're not going to just, you know, hose you. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be a, a you know, a, a salvageable season. It's not going to be a record one. I don't think for us, but I think right. we'll salvage. Amen. Well, that, that, that's awesome to know. 
Well, Dr. Bob, we sure appreciate uh, your uh, spending some time with us today. It's been very, very informative. We, uh, you know, just uh, hope and pray for your family that uh, you guys stay well and, and thrive and that uh, the season uh, turns out to be better than anybody expected. I, uh, I, I sure think it still has that possibility. Um, and then going forward, um, obviously, in, in 2021, things should probably be pretty, pretty much back to normal. Now, the name of your lodge is uh, All Alaskan, um, uh, forgive me, <laughs> uh, it, it's All Alaska all, Outdoors Lodge, right? Yes, All Alaska Outdoors Lodge. And uh, again, if you, if you were somehow inspired by my rant and raving about health and wellness, and you want to like log on to my YouTube channel, I think if you just go onto the website and Google Dr. Bob Letta YouTube, I'll come up right away and you can join the channel. And I'm trying to add a lot of content since I'm sort of restricted on my other, my other endeavors right now. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, again, if you want to read about the stuff, I've got a lot of stuff on my Facebook uh, wellness patients blog that is already there. If you're like, well, here I am stuck in the house, might as well turn over a new leaf, change my diet, start exercising. This guy's going to give me the recipe and the why, because I don't just tell you what to do. I explain to you how science has proven that I'm not full of it. So. <laughs> I like your frankness. That's cool. <laughs> no, but you're right. You're right. Well, you know, you, you can only sit around and watch so much TV and, uh, and, and, and take in empty calories that uh, take advantage of this time. Yep, it's a, it's a time to change if you're ready to do it. Amen. All right. So true. Hey, Dr. Bob, thank you again, my friend. And uh, tight lines, we'll uh, uh, look forward to uh, catching up with you again soon. Okay, pleasure, Ted. Thanks okay. for having me.